Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I am joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the CEO of the ROC. Hello, Winter Olympics. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? Listen, always complicated. My grandfather, Grandpa Nat, who I loved very much, born and raised in Russia, you know, <laughs> it's complicated when things like this happen. I got, I got to be honest. Hey, Denny, do you notice anything different about me today? Benny has the Illuminati starter pack. When they give you the ring light, that's how you know you started and they get your third eye. You would have known I could have looked this good for $30 the whole time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's how cheap these things are. I'm I'm sorry that uh, the fake mustache didn't come with me today, though. Uh, we miss Benny big, Trejo. R.I.P. Big hit at home. The kids loved it. They mm. did. They thought it was real funny. And now the mustache itself is actually hanging on the family art wall. Because, I mean, let's be serious. That was performance art last <laughs> week. I mean, let's, let's be real about it. Oh, I just noticed the ring light has a little section to put your phone there. Yeah. So I could really just go ahead and be a content creator <laughs> now. This is my TikTok future has been paved with with ring lights. I'm ready to go, man. I love this. I love this whole thing for you. Well, Benny Trejo may not be here this week, unfortunately, you know, but you know what is here this week, Benny? La Tortuga? If that's Spanish for this day music history, you got it right. <laughs> do, 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 do. So on this day in 1933, is this yours? No. Okay. <laughs> Yoko Ono was born. Now, you know, I usually don't do birthdays like this because you could go on any. I could have chosen uh, Dennis DeYoung from Styx. Mm. It was also the day he was born. And I. Uh, I actually prefer Styx's music to Yoko Ono's. But the one thing I was interested in, I'm like, you know what? Do a quick Google. I know nothing about Yoko Ono's background. Hmm. You know, I don't know where she's from. I don't know what her vibe was at all. And, you know, I do some quick Wikipedia, and it's pretty fascinating. You know, she's born in 33 in Tokyo, Tokyo City. Uh, Father, a wealthy banker. Mother, a former classical pianist. Maternal grandparents were affiliates of the Yasuda clan mm. and came from a long line of samurai warrior scholars. Wow. Come on. The Kenji translation of Yoko is ocean child. Very cool. And then when she was a little kid, they went to California, came back a number of times. And by the time she was... A uh, teenager was was back in Japan, her father in Hanoi, during World War II. Hmm. Tokyo was, you know, shattered. Uh, they were like, went from being very wealthy people to, you know, like begging for food. And her father, who'd been in Hanoi, was in a prisoner of war camp in wow. China. He was in French Indochina and uh, was in a concentration camp. And by the end of the war is when they finally, I guess, used enough money to get to New York, where she enrolled in sort of, you know, very uh, arty upscale schools and got connected in the, you know, the New York art scene, California art scene, the Japanese art scene. And by the time she was like 20 years old, was really like well-traveled and accomplished and cool. And, you know, I can really see now, I get it more, why someone like John Lennon met a person like that and was truly kind of like blown away by him. They had this story and cultural attache 
that a lot of people didn't have. It also made me think, because of her experience, uh, how much of uh, her mentality about war and violence, uh, you know, was part of John's mentality towards war and violence. And if those things, her story, her personal stories and her family and stuff had had something to do with it. Hmm. So pretty fascinating, huh? Yeah. And it, it, it makes a lot more sense when she'd come out and, and be like, like, imagine there's no heaven and like all of that stuff and like really helping with like that song. Cause be like, you know, when you've, when you've gone through the ups and downs, like I'm sure your, your worldview is like, no just God would like do that. So interesting. Yeah. Very, very. How all about right. you? All right. So what we're going to keep it on the birthday front here, Benny. Mm. And on this Not day, Dennis DeYoung. Uh, <laughs> on this day in 1954, John Travolta was born. And uh, let me tell you about Englewood, Mr. New Jersey. That's right. That's right. I'm not. We've we, we've talked about him a bunch. Uh, let's just get into the stats real quick. 1978, <laughs> number one chart topping hit with "You're the One That I Want." Uh, then he obviously has all all the success with maybe the most popular album ever. At least his face is on the Saturday Night Fever album, even if he's not exactly singing it and partaking. So New Jersey's own. We're Jersey podcast. We keep it Jersey, even when some of us aren't in Jersey. So this day in 1954, John Travolta. So happy. Let's do the quick math here. Happy 68th birthday, John Travolta. Hats off. How, how long has he been California Illuminati now, though? Like Ooh. more than half his life, right? Yeah, I, I mean, Gotta be. ever since he was a... Uh, Welcome back, Cotter, right? Like, like, yeah. like, I feel like in those days, you had to be hardcore Illuminati to get on network TV. Can I share a funny anecdote to keep it on my grandpa Nat, my grandma Dottie? Yes, please. I remember specifically when I was a kid, those two going to see Pulp Fiction. <laughs> they came to our home shortly after. And this is what I remember my grandma Dottie saying. Oh, it was so violent that John Travolta... <laughs> Liked them better with the dancing. Love that. Big ups. Big ups. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always think of that. Oh, I like them so much better with the dancing. Oh, and, I mean, I guess she forgot about the dancing scene yeah. in Pulp Fiction, yeah. though. It's a good you one. Know. Him, him and Uma, Uma? get down yeah. pretty good. Um, Speaking of those moves, this is a good segue into our next segment. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. I was going to bring up one other thing, but since you forced the hand that fed me, I got to go to it. First story of the day. We're going to talk about uh, a a guy who had multiple acts, just like I'm hoping John Travolta has a third act. You know, he's got like the (laughs) beginning, the middle. We need that third act. uh, Astronaut. I think astronaut is next. Go in space with Bezos. Anyway, just before hopping on the pod today, uh, we got, you know, we've talked about the Elvis biopic that's in the works. We got Tom Hanks playing the Colonel. Uh, we finally have a trailer for this. The first trailer for Elvis has arrived with star Austin Butler singing. He's actually singing the Elvis stuff, and it sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. Um, yeah. And if the first trailer is any indication, he's right on point. Uh, this is a film uh, uh, stars and produced Tom Hanks. This is a uh, Baz Luhrmann production. Uh, Baz Luhrmann of. Uh, of, of, of Great Gatsby and Milan Rouge fame. Thank you very much. Right. Uh, right. The Warner Brothers picture will explore uh, uh, the late Presley's life in three sections. Hey, three sections. This is, is all adding up to the Illuminati. <laughs> it's all adding up. Uh, uh, and it, it will look at it, it'll look at the great canvas of American rock and roll per the release. So, Benny, what part of the Elvis story needs to be told properly for it to work for you? 
I I mean, this is this is so hard, isn't it? Yeah. Because this is like one of the grandest tales and not only like music history, but like, you know, there's so many narratives to this. There's so many different ways you can go. Conspiracy theories, what's real, what's not. So even though Boz Lerman and the style he goes, am I saying his name right? Uh, I hope so. You know, I hope that we style, both are. <laughs> the style he goes, you know, sometimes is a little troubling to me and. Uh, Gatsby was a little tough to digest at times. And when I imagine, you know, the grandiose nature of this story connected with the grandiose way, I'm assuming he's going to tell it. Eh, I got some immediate red flags, you know, um, I'm scared because it's like, I've never seen a, a real, like, like, you know, You've seen Elvis stories that are either done really poorly or done fragmented about his life, but you've never seen like this opus where you're going from like beginning to end. So, I mean, right off, the, you saw the trailer, right? I mean, it's super theatrical, super grand, super big. So I don't know how to take this just from the trailer because if there's a fantastical element to it where I'm supposed to lose myself in some theater and maybe give a little room for, you know, for fiction and for fun to let it play in, then I'm going to ingest this movie a lot differently than it's given to me as like, this is the story of a man's life. You know, am I watching, uh, you know, walk hard <laughs> or, or walk am I, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, am I watching like walk the line, you know, am I watching a movie that's like, you know, super based on somebody's life and this, or am I watching like, you know, a variation that, that allows for a different kind of storytelling. So, so basically the jury's still out and I'm a little nervous about the whole thing. The thing that I think obviously from the trailer, I don't know if it's just cause Tom Hanks is the major actor in it, but the relationship between him and Colonel Parker is, is pretty fascinating especially towards the end when you had this idea that there was sort of like a puppet mastery kind of situation going on. So uh, all that being said, I'm open to it. I'm interested, very afraid. Yeah, I'm I'm very afraid for, for this too. I'm intrigued by the pivot that uh that that Tom Hanks is taking in, in doing this role because um, you know, like we've talked a bunch about how he wants to take on these these complicated roles now and not just be like like America's dad. So right. so this is this is a, a interesting thing for him. But uh, this could be quite the star turn for Austin Butler right here. You know, I, I know that there's a sect of people that consume pop culture that have been all over him. But I think this is reaching an entirely different demographic. By the way, do you want to hear the NBA tie-in to Austin Butler? There's an NBA yeah. tie-in. So, wait, 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 wait. Let me think. Don't know. Okay. It's about ahead. women. Uh, he, oh, him, and uh, Kyle Kuzma share a former lover. Oh, that's right. They okay. both dated Vanessa Hudgens, but that's but that, but that's beside the point. <laughs> that's beside so uh, I I just had to get the basketball tie in to keep us honest here. But no, I feel like the I feel like the Coos has that story with a lot of people. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I think I think he's poised for a, a big moment. He he, he at, at times he looks the part. Yeah, and 
if, if that's him actually singing the Elvis stuff, be like, where has this guy been? So apparently, apparently the way they did it is all young Elvis is Austin Butler. Mm-hmm. He trained for a long time and tried to get his voice right. Old Elvis is a mix between Austin Butler and actual archival uh, mm. footage of Elvis. So this kind of runs the risk of, you know, sometimes I feel like these days you can make stuff to CGI that it almost takes you out yeah. of it. Like uh-huh. we used to use real fire and now it's kind of cheaper to use the FX and like after effects and stuff like that. Um, and, and there's a lot of that happening in here. There's a lot of uh, computer generated imaging, which is fine. It, it works, but for me still, and, and I don't know if this is like my first, like you're getting older, it kind of takes away a tiny bit for me. And I mean, there's gotta be an aspect to this. Like, you know, Boz Lerman's not American, right? No, he's Australian. Yeah, so, you know, right off the bat, I'm watching this trailer and I'm seeing a young Elvis, like, walk into some kind of, like, gospel review and, like, get taken over (laughs) by it. And this is, like, creating his moves and things like that. Like, that aspect of this story can be, like, super problematic. Yeah. And you got to be careful with because... If at no point in this movie do you recognize the fact that like Elvis and his peers were taking the music from people and, you know, whitewashing it for pop culture, like I really hope that's talked about. And it's not just this like, oh, I walked into a gospel review and became Elvis like that. That would be fucking corny if they just gloss over that entire part of the story you know and from the first trailer because they talk about the mlk assassination and that's where him and like the colonel kind of differ so it's like i i kind of see where where they take elvis as the more because it's like you can have empathy all of you want but without ever giving the group proper credit for your entire success i don't know it it could get really dicey you're absolutely absolutely right good murky water murky water Oh, do you want to talk about, like, interesting murky water? That could be pretty murky. What, you mean You mean digital Snoop? Oh, I do mean digital Snoop Dogg. <laughs> After his triumphant performance at the Super Bowl halftime show, Snoop Dogg surprised fans in a clubhouse room yesterday. Benny, do you yeah. know what clubhouse mm-hmm. is, by the way? You know what? My brother-in-law tried to get me to sign up to it like three months ago, and then I never heard of it again. So, so it was cool during the pandemic. Essentially, yeah, if you've heard exactly. of Spotify Green Room, you can lead these these meetings. It's in a room. It's in an an an, an app. Which I know when I say meeting in a room, you start to get a little suspicious. Um, <laughs> but it's where people can can congregate, and it's a uh, it's essentially kind of bringing uh, talk audio kind of that we do back to radio, but in app form anyway boy i I thought i was gonna have to explain the nft and the metaverse part of this i didn't think i'd have to explain clubhouse but here we are anyway so snoop dogg surprised fans in a clubhouse room yesterday as the new owner of death row records and revealed plans for death row to become the first nft record label um saying that he wants to be the first major label in the metaverse so benny i just i i, I think that this is a, a real spot where we can take this whatever way we want uh what does a label being in the metaverse look like don't know <laughs> i mean here's here's part of it where like and i think part of the reason why it it just can't work as simply as it's being stated is i still don't, i don't know what the fuck he's talking about I don't know what this record looks like. I don't know how to get it. 
I don't know how to consume it. I don't know how to see it. I don't know exactly what is going on. So because of that, <laughs> I can't answer your question yeah. what this looks like. My assumptions are this, okay? Like, are, is, okay, let me ask you this question simply. Yeah. Is there a physical release in conjunction with the next release? I mean, there has to be, but I think that this is, I think this is less a distribution and more of a marketing play, as in he right. wants to be like the first record that is like essentially what uh like like the Madden soundtrack did for like bands and stuff like that. He wants that to be what you hear when you have the the headset on and in the metaverse. Yeah, I mean, part of it feels like every time something like this happens, it makes me think of when Radiohead released in Rainbows, mm. and you know, and and this was like the first. We are a big time arena rock, major label level band who's going to self-release our own music. And at the time, you know, Radiohead maybe got a little more culty after that because it was almost a, an abandoning of the old structure. But Radiohead's probably paid that record off 10 times over at this point. Mm. They still play their arena shows. And in the long run, they might be much richer for it. I don't know because I don't know anybody in Radiohead. So I'm never one to just sit here and completely dismiss the way this is. But what I think it alludes to in a big way is this is all part of a deal with a gaming company. Yeah. He, he signed a major, major deal with this gaming company where it was obviously their idea to take a record into the metaverse. This is how we release it. We do it gaming style in all these chat rooms and whatever happens in the depths of the internet that I don't understand. Um, so what I'm assuming from Snoop's part is I'm like a nearly 60 year old hip hop artist. I'm basically known for like commercials and my, you know, things with Martha Stewart <laughs> and stuff at this point. So is he smart in sort of abandoning like a formal music career? Where it's like, I don't really release hard albums anymore with this. And you're supposed to listen to track one through 12 of Snoop Dogg's This and This. No, I think he got paid a buttload of money up front. Someone's going to market the shit out of him. It's more about imaging than music. It's going to be more about what this record looks like. Snoop going to be on it. That's what's going to be sold. And he's probably smart enough to know that a 60 year old hip hop artist isn't breaking a fucking crush hit record now. And, <laughs> you know, and this is maybe a way to go in a different Avenue instead of just putting out a formal record, the formal way where it will get lost. So all that being said, I don't know what this is. I don't know what it looks like, but I think Snoop might be onto something. Uh, I feel, I, I feel like we've, we've, not on this show have had this conversation, but here's my fear, right? Okay. This is going to do for Snoop Dogg what it did to you two. People don't want to be force-fed the music and can't get it out. Imagine you're in the universe and all you can hear is like <laughs> Snoop Dogg, but it's not like the songs that, that you like. It's like the new, it's like it's like 16 hours of Get On Your Boots by you two, but, and you can't get it off of your metaverse till the end of time. I don't know. That sounds so like wait, So where am I hearing this? Is it just in the background of what? Like social media apps and uh, like so commercials? I, like I don't, I don't where is this music even go? 
I think it's so like where's the music going? Where, where's the music going? As, <laughs> I don't as, know. As he yells at the clouds. No, so I'm pretty sure, as I understand it, you have this headset on, you're in the metaverse, you're walking around, you're doing things, and the music's there kind of like when you play your video games. I see. I see. So this is when I'm walking around in whatever version of Sims yeah. is our new alternate reality. Yeah. I got you. All right. That I is highly... I guess I better get one of these masks if I want to listen to <laughs> death row music. <laughs> that, that is, oh man, I love it. I don't know. I love you it. Know? So you can... I still have an iPhone five. I don't know what Snoop wants out of me here. Oh man, we got we. Oh, quick, quick sidebar about people love to shame you for having older versions of technology. We were like around like a, like a Super Bowl party the other day, right? And this guy takes our, our picture, right? And he's talking about, I got to buy you a, a new phone for Christmas because we didn't have the latest version of, of the iPhone. So, yeah, it's crazy. I know. I get shamed all the time for my <laughs> five. I'm like, I don't, sorry, I don't know where I'm going. My directions are stalled again. <laughs> I want to get to a certain level of success where I can go back to a, a flip phone and not need TikTok and Twitter oh, and Instagram. Dude, the alt, I think that is the barometer for success yeah. these days. I heard, I heard in a Will Ferrell interview the other day, where he's like, yeah, I joined Twitter for a week. <laughs> it was like the grossest place I've ever seen, and I stopped. <laughs> that is success these yeah, days. Love it. When you can completely shirk social media because you're already famous enough. Love it. That's gangster these days. That's gangster. I'm well, hoping to get back to that point. <laughs> soon, soon, soon. <laughs> when we get the Simmons money. Um, all right. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the Super Bowl halftime show, though? I mean, I want to talk about how I liked it. Okay, cool. Let's get to it. So the Super Bowl happened. Uh, we're going to get into the Rams in a little bit. They took care of business over the Cincinnati Bengals in the last minute of the game. It was Joe Burrows trying to cre uh, create a moment for himself, magic for himself. But the moment that a lot of people took away from this was the halftime show. Uh, it, and it was a Dr. Dre collaboration with all the biggest names that you'd expect from the Southern California music scene. You had Dr. Dre. You had Mary, Mary J. Blige. You had Snoop. You had Eminem. You had Kendrick. Um, a massive moment that, that you were like, wow, hip-hop at the Super Bowl. This is really cool. And then you were like, wait a minute. These songs came out 20 years ago. Am I that old? So a massive moment, a uh, really cool moment for, for everything. But Benny... What was your takeaway? Oh, I forgot about 50 Cent. I forgot about a guy <laughs> who sacrificed his body to hang up side sure down did. like a bat sure. to produce in the club for us. So, Benny, what did you make of the halftime show? I, I, the one thing I still can't, I, why was fi 50? Why were you wearing a headband? <laughs> I still don't get the headband in, the, in, that, in that circumstance. Maybe he's balding. He's probably balding at this point because of the general age and nature of the performers we're talking about. <laughs> No, I don't know. Yeah, they were old fucking songs. But you know what someone my age was doing at home when the halftime show was going on? You and LeBron you know, both. <laughs> the entire time. Yeah. I love these yeah, songs. Yeah, great, you know great I mean? songs. These are like, and that's where uh, we talk about this on this show a lot. Like hip hop of the 90s and 2000s. It's not hip. It's pop music. Yeah. That's pop music. Those songs were radio smashes, MTV smashes, and little white kids all over the place loved these songs, ingested these records, took in the chronic, uh, and, <laughs> and, and apparently, you know, there's a large enough audience at home like us that made them book this halftime show. 
So I loved it. I think uh, most people probably your age or older like yeah. it. But I mean, here's the thing. Kendrick is still a very relevant artist, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I would mean, say Eminem record, is but... still a partially relevant artist, right? Yeah. At times. Yeah. At least Kendrick is. Yeah. So, I mean, did any kid out there in the world, right, who's a Kendrick fan, tune into this and go, oh, you know what? That's a catchy song. I should dig into my past and, like, bought the chronic. Did that happen? Like, at least once, you oh, think? Oh, I don't think so because kids aren't <laughs> buying music. Kids aren't buying music. They're streaming it. And then... The, it's like, what? Dre doesn't have an NFT? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, they, yeah. they went and bought Snoop's NFT that he right. bought from Shaq Circus or whatever and stuff like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, no, it was cool. It was cool. Mary J had the Lady Gaga jumping off of the stadium moment when she was just exhausted at, at the end. Yeah, man. It was... Uh, I gotta say, they did pay some tributes to other artists in in the meantime. But uh, Dre getting his flowers, I think, was pretty cool. And yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, I'm gonna be in- intrigued to see where the NFL tries to go next with this because you know we talked when the story happened about Jay Z being appointed like the head of NFL music entertainment. So depending on, I mean, I know the Super Bowl is going to Phoenix next year. I'm not exactly sure. There's a lot of uh, hip-hop talent coming out of Phoenix, but I'm going to be excited to see who they try to procure. Probably not. It's going to be Jimmy World. That's right. (laughs) Um, All right, so let's get to the actual football action. And we're not going to talk about the game because we're a bunch of days removed and that's all, all been talked about. But the Rams won the Super Bowl and the conversation quickly turned to the future of the Rams and whether Aaron... Oh, I'm Aaron- sorry. Can you at least mention on this program that I predicted the Rams in our oh. preseason? Oh, yes. Okay. Can you, can you splice this in or something? Make yeah, look I'll, cool? I'll Remember, splice it. You put me on YouTube saying punk drummer <laughs> bashes this guy. But you don't take the opportunity to be like, hey, look, Punk Drummer predicted the Punk Super Bowl Drummer. champion, you know? <laughs> Jesus. Baby. Okay. Hey, man. You know, because, oh, you know, I, I think we hit, hit hit a couple of buys. The betting really didn't work out. Nobody backed up the Brinks truck. So it's a whole thing. But yes, congratulations. I honestly, God, I don't remember who I picked. I probably did. I probably picked Kansas City. Uh, you probably picked Kansas City, <laughs> but I don't remember. Yeah. But yeah. kudos to you. Um, the Rams pulled it off, you know, in, in a game where the Bengals had most of it. The Bengals had them for yeah. a very long time. They had every chance. Had had every chance. But uh, the conversation after the game quickly moved on to: Is Aaron Donald gonna retire? Uh, is Von Miller gonna sign somewhere else for more? Uh, is Sean McVay gonna retire? Which I thought was the most surprising thing. And this is the conversation I kind of want to get into because. Sean McVay, you know, half of the NFL is his coaching tree by now, which is crazy considering he's not even 40. But the moment when he started talking about, oh, I'm I'm, I'm engaged to my fiance, like I want to have a, a family and stuff like that. People started being like, oh, is he going to retire? Yeah. Which lacks a complete duality that that, that there, there's a generation of sports talk that is like you're either all in or all out. And there's no right. in, in between. So I think Sean McVay has a really cool opportunity to kind of bring the NFL into this NBA space where it's like, yeah, you can be the winningest coach in the NFL and you can also have a family on your side businesses. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I think about this all the time with like, 
I was I was watching last night. I was watching Utah play basketball. And your boy, Quinn Snyder, <laughs> who I swear, like in the last when he first came into the league, I was like, look at this guy. He looks like Jude Law. You know, he's handsome, he's got that nice hair. He looks 87 years old now. Yeah. He looks like shit. And and I hear like a guy like Doc Rivers' voice. <laughs> and I see a guy like Quinn Snyder now, and I'm like, man, that looks hard. Yeah. Things are really hard and grueling and all that traveling. And like, if you are an NBA coach for like 10, 20, 30 years, like it's a hell of a grind, you know? And if you do have a family, you probably don't know them that well. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the truth to it. Right. So I, I do agree that like, there is this like, but then I was thinking about a guy like Greg Popovich, right. Who seems to really enjoy his life. Yeah. It does. Like, he seems to have a very casual nature to his life and enjoys it. And I'm like, oh, this is the modern NBA where you also have seven other guys in fairly expensive suits who get to break down every corner of the game for you while you're out drinking wine <laughs> and then you make the final decision. So I do think you're right where there is like a chance and maybe this is the NFL's chance like you talked about. Why can't Sean McVay be on TV at all? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this guy is like wildly popular. He's young. He's handsome. He just won a Super Bowl. You're looking to like expand your league. Like why deny that opportunity while the season? Let the guy call a game when he's not calling a game. Does it really matter? No. Yeah. I don't think so. So I'm with you on that. Like it, it is put in a box and uh, and and I, I do think more duality would help the league and not only this league, like other leagues yeah. too. Um as far as this nonsense about Sean McVay and Aaron Donald retiring, like yeah. get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like Aaron Donald would have made a like more sense yeah. to me than McVay. Cause if you're a certain type of player, we've seen it before, usually not with winning players, but <laughs> where guys are like, you know what? I just made like $150 million. I'm 28 years old. I don't want like to break my brain and my body. I don't want to limp around for the rest of my life. Fuck it. I'm out. It's happened before mm -hmm. Robert Smith, Calvin Johnson, like, you know, guys have done it. I don't see it with Aaron Donald right now. Like, yeah. you know, everything he's, he's talking about, doesn't seem right. And then McVay, I think not at all. And part of the reason is like this whole, like military style, like loyalty in the NFL. I mean, you can't go from, uh, whining and dining Matthew Stafford on an island somewhere nine months ago, convincing him to come to LA <laughs> to turn his career around and win a Super Bowl together and then be just like, be like, peace. yo, peace, Matt. <laughs> like, it just doesn't work like that. And you'll never have the loyalty and trust of guys again if you do that stuff. And an NFL coach knows that as well as anyone. So, uh, and then on top of that, why wouldn't they run it back? Yeah. Like, they're in the NFC. And that, you know, that that conference is wide open for another what couple years, like like all the real fucking grind them out battles seem to be seem to be on the other side in the AFC. So uh, I think it was a lot of fun. I love Aaron Donald. Fuck, yeah. I could watch that guy <laughs> drunk at a parade all day, you know, so He's a fucking it's mammoth of a beast of a man. Uh, so I, I think it was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, and I think they're all coming back next year. Yeah, I, I love that. The thing that I want to see, though, from Sean McVay, keep coaching the Rams, but Amazon has been backing up the big... Like, they're really trying to pump money into the Thursday night game to make that a special thing. 
if the, the games that the Rams are not involved in, you have Sean McVay in the booth. Imagine an active coach in the booth that, that is going over game plans and, and everything. He's all he's already prepared. So you have him next to Al Michaels. That's a fascinating thing. You know what you know what it is about that though that could never work? What? Is that like the first time the Rams lose two games in a row on a Sunday? It's because McVay wasn't there for two days with his team and like, you know, he's He's not a real coach. He's in and out and the, you know, team's suffering. Like, I don't know how you don't get away from that chatter if you do that. Well, you want to know how you won't get away from that chatter because you're in L.A. and everybody (laughs) has side. Like if you're in New England, if you're in Philadelphia, if you're in any of these like like Wisconsin with the Packers, if you're in any of those markets. Absolutely. But you're the coach of the Los Angeles Rams. It's almost expected that you do. Yeah, I mean it'll be fun. Yeah, I think we're a little far away from that. I love it. I, it's a little top golfy. Next up, we're gonna turn our attention to baseball a little bit, and I hate that we only talk about baseball when there's scandals, but that's really that's 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 their role these days. But Matt Harvey is space, facing a suspension of at least sixty days after admitting in court to distributing opioids to. The late angel pitcher Tyler Skaggs, this according to ESPN's TJ Quinn. In a statement, MLB told Quinn, once the trial is complete, MLB will conduct a comprehensive review of the potential violations of our drug program. Harvey's admission is a violation of the MLB's drug program for the drug distribution. He is currently a free agent, um, but we are also in a, a lockout. So those two things and it's like harvey isn't quite sure where his future lies and it may not even be it may be behind bars quite frankly depending on how all things go so but uh benny what do you make of this story and what direction do you think that this is going to go uh as the mlb tries to negotiate their next collective bargaining agreement well all right so i think well a matt harvey was granted immunity to speak okay as was cj crone Bedrosian and the other members of the angels. I think it was four other players who had at some point either seen or done drugs with Tyler Skaggs and had, and all of them spoke on the condition of immunity. So Matt Harvey won't be going to jail. It does beg the question why he wanted immunity for what, you know, like, I mean, the fact that he's talking and, uh, you know, openly admitting to being a cocaine addict where um, he was, you know, even saying to Tyler Skaggs, hey, I'm more of a cocaine guy, not an oxy guy, you know. And and th- so I think he's safe. And this is actually really more about Eric Kay, the uh, the person who was working for the Angels, I think, in a, you know, some kind of communications, you know, capacity was with the team and with them all the time. So on the outside looking in, this Eric Kay kind of seems like one of those people who tours with bands and you're not really sure what they do. You know, they load in, they maybe set up a couple things and then they're like talking to everyone and they're like kind of these conduits that people in the band use to get drugs, nightlife, parties. And their capacity inside of there is to kind of be buddies with everyone and help them get what they want. This guy seemed like that. You know, he seemed like he was literally with the team because he was like this. And I can tell you from experience that, you know what? Users hang out with their dealers a lot. It's convenient. You know, like this is the way it goes. So 
I think this was like a really widespread thing. And sadly, when I hear more about the story and having experience with this myself is that if Tyler Skaggs was to the point at 27 years old, that the first thing he did when he walked into a hotel room was crushed up an oxy and sniffed it, or he was taking that prior to a game because he wanted to feel loosey goosey. Scott was on a collision course. He was on a collision course with either rehab or death to begin with, because fuck it. I hate to say it. That is the road that this goes down. Um, I don't know if other people are culpable for that because it seemed like he was really actively looking for everything he had and sort of had an open drug arrangement with this guy. So as far as uh, who's at fault, it's just so ugly all around and I'm sad to see it. And they're young people who are struggling with some really, really serious stuff. This is what begs the question to me on a much larger scale, okay? Is like, I never realized the sort of vulnerability and dangerous situation these guys are in. Now think of it, like, not only are you traveling to different cities, in a baseball capacity, you're traveling there for usually three to four days, right? Mm -hmm. If you're in the league for a couple years, you're usually staying in the same hotels, same neighborhoods, you know what I mean? Like, if you're with the same team for two, three years, you probably know that hotel in Houston in and out. You know that fucking hotel in Philly in and out. You guys go to the same place every time. And if you're a pitcher, sometimes you arrive to these cities knowing you are, don't have to work. You know what I mean? So it's like all of a sudden you get to this place and you essentially have like, you know, uh, days of not. I mean, obviously, you have to be at the stadium, be a professional athlete and do these things. But the more and more I hear about in baseball, people sniffing oxies to go out into the field, doing cocaine, uh, <laughs> coffee pots filled with fucking meth. Like, we just denied Barry Bonds the whole thing. <laughs> this league is insane. <laughs> and it's been insane forever. These guys are like traveling bands of misfits. It's been going on for so long. And I think they're in like really dangerous situations, especially now where like, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to go to Milwaukee and find a bag of cocaine, you got to you got to get into the fringes of society to do that. You know what I mean? Like you got to know somebody, go somewhere you don't want to go, sit in a room you shouldn't be in for a while. That's how getting drugs works. But when you have like people who have ties to people who can write prescriptions and you can get this like semi-legally and you can carry it in your overnight bag and on planes and like these super crazy dangerous drugs just being able to toss around like that man i never realized the uh kind of powder keg that these sports leagues kind of have as a result of their own context and this uh story is is really is really a microcosm of that i think since this story broke i've been fascinated by how now like I deal with and have been around a lot of communications people and yeah, you are around them a lot of the time, but it's, I've seen very few situations where it, it is as buddy, buddy as because they are your liaison mm. to making sure that like the PR is right. right. 
Um, oftentimes, the athlete doesn't want to deal with the PR because it's like they've got their own team and that whole situation oh, right, going right. on. So, team PR and then their own PR. Yeah. Right. So for somebody to kind of be that tight with team PR is kind of weird to me. Um, uh, okay. So it was a drug relationship. I guess. You know? And yeah. the, the other thing that I could probably see is if you have enough capital within an organization, you could try to get your buddy's jobs. So in, in the sense where he may not have been the director of communications, but say you get your nephew a summer internship, yeah. I, I could see how you could misuse that, um, but that's so uncommon. But I feel like now there's going to be different rules to try to avoid a Tyler Skaggs situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's wild to think that. Like, So, yeah, because of your insight... That's really interesting. And it may and it actually alludes even more to the fact that I think these guys had a personal relationship based on one thing, you know, and I've seen this before. Again, like there's some tours you get on and two days into it, you're like, wait, where are those two? Yeah. (laughs) And then you put it together. You're like, that's that dude from the band and that dude from the band who would both be into those types of things. And now we can't find them. There's a pretty good chance we know what they're doing, you know? And the the last thing I have to say about it, it's so interesting because these comms people, their number one interest and really like the one thing that they care about in life is protecting the image of that particular organization. Mm. I mean, like you look like like my guy Barry Baum in Milwaukee or Ray Ritter with the Golden State Warriors. Like they hear and see everything. And granted, they're the, the director of communications and the people that work for them. But I mean... To, to, to see someone have that little regard for the Angels organization, I think that kind of hints at maybe a bigger problem. Or yeah, they used to have a bigger it. problem and they fixed it. Right. Let's turn our attention to the hardwood now, please. Um, the All-Star Weekend is upon us. Um, teams have risen, teams have fallen, teams have exceeded expectations, and, and teams have performed well below expectations. So let's get into the Keep It Sexy NBA All-Star Report cards. Um, Benny, wh- where do you want to start? Which team well, you want to start with? Let's give these. The, the, let's go straight down this list you gave me. Okay. So uh, Danny gave me a list of what he deems the important teams. Well, I mean, the they're listen. We've graded. If you're not a contender, are you really that important in this league? Not right now. That's right. That's right. <laughs> not right now. Wait, why are the Lakers on this list then? Because oh, <laughs> I'm an L.A. guy now. I'm an L.A. Okay, guy now. You okay, know this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and the Clippers aren't because, well, well, you know, they're the yeah, Clippers. Well, so Just because. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's start with the Phoenix Suns, the hottest team in the NBA uh, over the first half and change of this season. Uh, Benny, what do you give them as their letter grade for the pre-All-Star portion of the season? They aced it. Yeah, they aced it. The but are we, are we a minus, are we A, or are we A plus? That's how I'm we're going here. Solid A Ooh, I like for Phoenix. That. Okay. We're not plus, we're not minus. Uh, they're the best team in the league, best record in the league. Consistently been that way the whole season, even with... Uh, you know, Aiton getting hurt and, you know, the lineup being chipped a little. And I think they go into the all-star break uh, still with the the best chance and the best chemistry added Tory Craig and Aaron holiday for, for that push going towards they're healthy and, and ready to go. There's, there's nothing really to take away from Phoenix at this point. Yeah. They've now won 20 of their last 22 games. Absolutely insane. Um, 
Devin Booker cooled off this week, but has averaged 23.3 per game, while Aiton Bridges, Paul, and Cam Johnson all average in double figures. Um, and they go into All-Star break as the undisputed best team in the league right now. So A-plus for the Phoenix Suns. The high I don't know man. how, but is it just me, or is Devin Booker still an underrated scorer? I don't think I he's... mean, that guy can do things on the offensive end sometimes where I go, oh, who else is doing that, yeah. you know? I mean, I think he's only underrated if you're looking at it from a narrative point of view. But if you're watching every night, you're like, he is, he's upper echelon. But until he wins a title, we're not going to be able to affirm it. It's kind of stupid, but... That's how it goes. From the content... Or from the... NBA Finals participants from last year. We have the Phoenix Suns, who fell to my Milwaukee Bucks. Benny, what grade do you give the Bucks for the first uh, portion of the season? Right now, I have the Bucks with like a B, B minus. Mm, okay, yeah, me too. I think uh, a lot of their uh, issues were mostly due to injury, a little bit of a lack of consistency. But I, I don't think I'm the only one who noticed the. Uh, post-finals, we're going to be fine mentality getting to the Bucks a little, yeah. you know? Um, and even when the big three got back together, they were still dropping some silly games where I'm like, eh, I don't think the Bucks want the number one seed that bad. Um, now, the reason they're going to a minus for me is because this, this Dante DiVincenzo trade looks a lot different after Pat Connaughton goes down and they actually need that depth. They need a, they need another shooter out there. I don't know if I have enough, you know, what, who was I seeing out there the other night? Littleton was this guy's name. Uh, you know, the, the <laughs> oh, Littleton, oh, oh, yeah. some guy I've never heard of who's getting 20 minutes at the <laughs> oh, two Wigington. guard. Yeah. 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 And, and I'm like, Oh, okay. Like that's where we're at already. Like that's, that's a little thin. Um, I think, uh, I still like the Bucks' chances to get through. I still think they're the best team, but um, they got to get into that next gear quickly after uh, after the All Star break, or else I might lose my belief a little bit. Yeah, I give them a B minus, Benny. You know, we saw what they looked like uh, when they played the Blazers, and they were without Giannis, and it was like over, like no chance. Yeah. Um, Chris Middleton has been I struggling. I told you Josh Hart was going to rip it up there. I told you. <laughs> Chris told Middleton you. has been struggling. You know, it's, it's like there, there's guys in, in the NBA that look like when they're struggling, they can cover it well because they'll go mm. off for like 16 in like the second quarter and will cool right. off the rest of the game. That's been Chris Middleton this year. Him and Bobby Portis of, of late uh, in the past – couple games five of 32 combined from three don't love that don't love the over reliance on bobby portis listen that contract's nice you get you like he's way outperforming the contract but he can't he's not gonna be a guy that's gonna get you 20 every single night um so it's gonna be interesting to see what the serge Ibaka addition has yeah um we don't know when brooke is gonna get back yet so it may just have to be the Giannis show and we'll see really like if, if this doesn't get corrected by the playoffs we're going to see what Giannis really is because, I mean, he may have to go for 50. Every, he may have to channel some LeBron James and just drop 50 pieces every night. I mean, that's the thing, and that's the reason you can't take He can. Yeah. And, you With know, ease. like that, he's in this bizarre category now of, like, I don't know, until he stops doing it, I'm just going to keep believing that he could just get better. He's still getting better. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy. wild. It's crazy. Like, and 
I think what he scored 50 points on, on 21 shots the other day like, on the Pacers. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, come on. Come so on. if somehow, and I can't see, I mean, the only path that I can see that I'm winning a championship is through him. And if, if he does that, Oh my God, then, then we're talking next level oh. winner in this league. Yeah, that, that bridges in Milwaukee <laughs> will be renamed in his honor. School. Move over, Hank Aaron. There's uh, a new guy. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's All right. The, the Milwaukee Giannis's. You know. <laughs> just, just rename the city onto yeah. the Coupeville. Uh, all right. Let's move on to your nets here, Benny. Um, a, a, one of the more interesting first halves of the season we've ever seen. What's your grade for the Brooklyn Nets? I got to give my boys right now a C minus, okay? Mm. And this is because the Nets, the big triumvirate of these three, this unstoppable offensive juggernaut, is currently fighting for a play in game and looking pretty far away from the sixth seed. I mean, Boston's, uh, Boston's cranking it and they're, they're making yeah. that a tougher thing to get to. So, you know, the only reason we're not flunked right now is because we forget we spent some time as the number one team in the East for a while. And this thing was close to working, you know, like, like James Harden was really (laughs) happy a couple months ago. KD was balling and everyone's like, yeah, he's the greatest guy in the world. And, you know, you're only seeing flashes of Cam Thomas, not 35 minutes of Cam (laughs) Thomas. And you're like, oh, he looks promising. That situation is quite different now. And, you know, we needed you know, uh, a massive fourth quarter from Cam Thomas last night to overcome the dreadful Knicks. I mean, Jesus. But uh, the only reason we're not in straight, you know, D failing territory is because, you know, Durant comes back, you know, there, there's still a chance for the Nets this year to, to get into a decent spot in the playoffs and to make a little playoff run. It's looking more unlikely than it was, but I think the franchise altering trade and, the uh, paths to success in the second half of the season are the only reason we're not flunked right now. Yeah, the Nets are are the kid in college that's like syllabus week happens and they're on the ball for like two weeks. <laughs> then between that time and like midterms, you kind of fall off a little bit. But then you get to midterms and that, that i.e. the trade deadline and you make it happen. Um, yeah, man, the Nets right now, dude, Seth Curry... I know, like I didn't watch enough Sixer basketball, but I, I love I love the fit here. I mean, you saw him last night against the Knicks. Those buckets were so vital. Shot him back in into the game as as the Knicks were just missing everything left and right. Uh, but there's no telling when Ben Simmons is going to make this Brooklyn debut or when KD is going to be back. So, but they're heading in the right direction. That was a galvanizing win over the Knicks. Always good to get that win there. Um, but the Nets' new losing streak at one point was at 11 games uh, with losses to the Wizards and the Heat to start the week. Uh, but, yeah, man, the, like you can't stress enough these back-to-back wing wins over the Kings and the Knicks, uh, both without Ky- Kyrie Irving, so that's going to build you some confidence there. But uh, Steph Curry uh, just leading the team in his addition with 21.5 points a game, five assists. It's the passing ability of Seth that I'm like, oh, it's, this is going to unlock a lot of things. It's yeah. the movement that's really exciting, and that's why I just have this giant boner about a lineup next year consisting of Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, Ben Simmons, and Kevin Durant. Mm. What is anyone doing against that fucking lineup? It's going to yeah. be insane. But I am curious, you know, there's always the post-trade culture shift. Like all of a sudden, hmm. you know, everyone. It's it's like when you uh, 
go on vacation in the first two days. It doesn't matter where you are. Like you're fucking loosey goosey. You're having a blast. You could be in St. Louis. It doesn't matter. And that's what's going on with the Nets right now. You know, the the bench going crazy. KD getting behind, you know, Cam Thomas and going after the Knicks on Twitter and all this is a little bit of a culture reset honeymoon period going on. And, uh, and I'm curious to see what happens like a week from now. By the way, just a already an update on the story we talked about earlier. We have break news into the tune-up. Uh, a grand jury finds uh, former Los Angeles Angels staffer Eric K. guilty of distributing fentanyl and causing death wow. for Tyler Skaggs. So <gasps> happened just now as we were recording. So interesting. Wild. Yeah. Wild. Benny, let's move on to the Warriors, shall we? Uh, the Warriors, a, a, a team that has had a l- injury problems, but has also kind of uh, uh, galvanized and, and found themselves at the top of the Western Conference heading into the break. What grade do you give the Golden State Warriors? I, I give them a B. Yeah. And I give them a B because, you know, they're still the top three in the West, firmly a plus seven differential. You know, it took a while to get Clay back. They lost Dre. No Wiseman still. Um, so, you know, they had these issues uh, that they overcame and still played great and overachieved. And no one expected the Warriors to be where they were going into this season and as good as they were. Then January hit. <laughs> Steph had a really awful month, bad shooting month, regressed a little, Dre's a little hurt. And, you know, it's a little more concerning. But, you know, this is where it's great to be the Warriors because in that time you're developing Jordan Poole, you're developing Kaminga, and all of a sudden you know you got a real player there. They keep retooling on the fly, and they should be right there the whole time. So uh, I got to take them out of the A category for that January and the injury concerns. But if this team goes into the playoffs full tilt, uh, yeah, they're going to be just as good as anyone. Yeah, I'm going to give them a B-plus here, Benny. Uh, You know, they had that tough game against the Nuggets on Wednesday night um, after losing an eight-point lead in the final three minutes of the game, so that's tough. Um, They have four losses in five games, but as we both said, missing Green, missing Iguodala, uh, while allowing 118 points uh, per 100 possessions. Uh, So tough, you know, you kind of never want to have the other team scoring over one point per possession. That's kind of tough. But uh, you talked about Steph shooting. Steph averaged still, I mean, poor shooting, but he's still averaging close to 30 a game, which is wild. So up and down, but uh, they got to be feeling good about themselves and feeling like they're getting on the healthier side of where they were a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move uh, to Chicago, shall we? And a team who would not have been in this conversation at the start of the season. They made the moves, but sometimes when you have all the offseason bite, it kind, of, it kind of doesn't live up to it during the regular season. Benny, what do you make of the Chicago Bulls? What grade do you give them? You know what? I, I'm not really understanding uh, uh, sort of this. Uh, it, it seems like a pre-failure like willies that Chicago are giving people, you know? And I'm still like firmly on the Chicago train. I got to be honest that I'm giving their first half of the season an A minus because this was like universally mocked going into this season. The fact that these fits won't work. 
Uh, the fact that DeRozan is, you're overpaying for DeRozan. Uh, Vucevic isn't the right player. Levine, I don't know about re-signing, blah, blah, blah. And they come out of the gates and they just start crushing people. Um, and then Patrick Williams goes down. They have a bit of this hole, especially defensively. But this is their first year of actually being good. You know, so like, yeah, they're going to have some holes. This isn't an absolutely complete roster that's been through the ringer. So because of all that, I, I'm I'm still on the Bulls. They're still the number one team in the East. Uh, they still have DeRozan, Vucevic, Bobby White going out there and doing great. They're going to get Caruso back. They're supposed to get Williams back before the postseason. And uh, I think they're still in really good shape. Oh, and not to mention they stole... Uh, one of the best draft picks in the draft in Desomnu. So I think uh, Chicago's sitting pretty. I, I don't understand the hatred. And they're picking up Tristan Thompson, you know, to kind of battle some of those bigs that the rest of the contenders in the Eastern Conference have. Uh, but can we just talk about DeMar DeRozan a little bit? Please. DeMar became the first player in NBA history to score at least 35 points while shooting at least 50% from the field um, in seven consecutive games. The previous record held by Will Chamberlain. Just think about that. It's crazy. Man, and you know what I'm loving about DeMar seeing him in this capacity? Like, this is like some old man version of DeMar DeRozan where half the time on offense, it seems like he's uh he's like going through the motions. He's he's almost developed like a Tracy McGrady like style to his game where he feels so loose and yeah. so confident in the move he's about to make. It's kind of making it look kind of easy. Yeah. Which is which is crazy. I mean, I think I mean, I'm like everybody else. I didn't watch that much DeRozan the last couple of years. You know, I wasn't glued to Spurs basketball. And, you know, this guy obviously made a jump. He's he's one of the best players in the NBA at this point. Now, and then as we get to the playoffs, like, you know, the question is going to be about Billy Donovan because he's kind of had had a pass for a long time sure. in this league. Now you've got the team. What can you do with it? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, big question, but like you texted, I'm not ready to put him in Utah Jazz territory because <laughs> they, they haven't had the chance. Got to give them a chance. All right, do you want to talk about the Miami Heat? What grade would bit. you give them? We gloss through. Yeah, okay, all right. The, so heat, the heat, to me, going into this, you know, they get a flat, they get a B. Oh, B, okay. I think, <laughs> I think they're doing good, Um, and I think – they came into the season with this like bully ball idea that we're just going to like, you know, pound and ground everybody. Uh, you know, Duncan Robinson's regressed. I'm not sure about that position. Kyle Lowry is a year older, even though quite good. And my big concern with the heat is like, can you run a ground and pound team like through the playoffs, the way they're doing it? with the injury concerns about some of their players and some of the age concerns about some of their other players. So I'm loving Miami's regular season. I think they're a solid team, but they're the team that I'm uh, more skeptical about getting into the postseason. Yeah, you kind of watch them, and they're very exciting, but you kind of wonder, all right, do, do they have that next level? Um, but they got one of the top 15 coaches of all time, Eric Spolster, yeah. right there. So sure. I think, you know, their fans would have thought that they'd be here at the All-Star break, but I don't think most people would have thought that if you're no. looking at your Milwaukee's and Brooklyn. So I give them an A-. minus. Yeah. Let's wrap this out by giving out a grade for the Lakers, shall we? Benny, what do you give the Lakers? <laughs> what do you think? An F? 
A fail. Oh, they the failed. Long kid. I wish I could hold him back a grade. <laughs> I mean, so this is like the classic. And I think the trade deadline uh, cemented what everybody already knew, right? Yeah. Which is that LeBron brokered this deal with Russell Westbrook. They gave up all that depth. They're relying really, really heavily on guys like Malik Monk and Austin Reeves and Taylor Horton Tucker. And uh, the team, Rob Palenka, basically told him to go screw at the trade deadline. You wanted this. You go figure it out. You know, we're not going to give up the one draft pick we have six years from now to get you some marginal player to like maybe get into the top six. So I think uh, they're in big trouble. Uh, Anthony Davis just came back. will be out for the next two weeks through the all-star break. And even after he's basically the only reason they can win a game when they can win a game. LeBron's going to be able to bully some bad teams, but fuck man, it doesn't look good for the Lakers right now. And because of uh, what they could have been and what they came to the season as, I got to give them a dead fail. Yeah, I'll give them a a, a, a D minus. I'm not going to fail them yet because, you know, they needed to make the moves at the deadline. And that that's about as nice as this review is going to be. I think that this <laughs> season has been a failure. But, um, you know, the... The thing is, I don't. The, I think we're gonna look back at LeBron's career and be like, he got in his own way, which is something that you can never say about a lot of the other greats. Is he wanted to assemble this ro- these rosters around him, like he didn't know his own game, and that just get him shooters and guys that can play three and D and 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 space so that he can make them better. When he when other people have put teams around him. He's been a superstar, and he's been the best player in league, i.e. Pat Riley. But when he's when it's been on him and he's been given the keys to the franchise, he doesn't achieve as much as he possibly could. So it's really sad for me, but I think his lack of trust of other people being able to put him in a great position to be the greatest player of all time kind of cost him, and it's definitely costing him in L.A. It's definitely costing him in L.A. I'm not going to sit here and go against LeBron's entire theory because it's worked in the past. So, you know, he's done it before where it's actually worked. And this time it just failed miserably. So I'm not going to say his uh, whole style of team building is necessarily bad, but so much of this was based on gumption, right? Mm. It's based on the idea that like, Hey, I'm LeBron James. When I have Anthony Davis, we can beat anybody we want. We, we won in the bubble, you know, we know we can do it. Let's get Russell Westbrook in here. So, you know, after we rip off eight straight games in a row, I can take a seat. Russ can take the helm for a game and I can roll, you know, like I think there is this like premeditated idea that they would just be so good. And when they came out with the West being that much better and AD being banged up and, you know, Russ being so typically Russ that he, he hurts you a little bit that, you know, it just, again, it's his own, he tripped on his own gumption, you know? All right. Well, we have literally run out of show here. My computer is telling me we're going <laughs> to stop recording on the Zoom. We're going to stop recording on the uh, 
on the audition file. So plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tunup podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. If you want to follow us on all the social platforms, your Twitters, your Instagrams, your TikToks, you're at the tunup HQ. Um, if you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz one, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Uh, a giant elk with horns just ran by my door. So I don't know what kind of omen that is for this episode, but it's something. Anyway, the show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to The Tune-Up.